It's NFL Draft Week and Mina Kimes, Super Nets fan. Sorry, Mina has a mock first round with Dominique Foxworth up right now, and we'll have a full recap next week. Check out the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny, her dog, wherever you get your podcasts. The final episode is here exclusively on ESPN+, Plus, which means all episodes are now streaming. Man in the Arena, Tom Brady, 22 seasons and 10 Super Bowl appearances. Tom Brady, like you've never heard him, featuring Tom Brady's three sisters, Giselle Bündchen, Tom Brady Sr., Rob Gronkowski, Gronk, Michael Strahan, and more. All episodes now streaming on ESPN+, Plus, presented by Under Armour. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to... The Low Post podcast on a Tuesday morning ahead of a massive Game 5 between the Wolves and Grizzlies and Suns and Pelicans. What a night ahead. But we have to start with the Boston Celtics sweeping the Brooklyn Nets and their endless melodrama out of the playoffs, out of our lives for at least a little bit, out of the NBA for a while. And to help us do that, a guy who knows the Nets organization very well, live from Florida with Daryl Rivas in the background. Bobby Marks, how are you? Hello, Zach. How are you? Well, Bobby, the Brooklyn Nets and Kyrie Irving have a lot of time to gel now. Um, after lamenting that they had no time to gel, uh, they are going to have a whole offseason to gel and ramp up and get ready for a year Assuming that Kyrie Irving re-signs, which he said that he would do, um, and we will talk about those comments momentarily, uh, a year that where the stakes for the fourth straight year will be very, very high, uh, having just watched an absolutely hellacious, dominant Boston Celtics team that is going nowhere but up, shove them out of the playoffs without a second thought, with Jason Tatum fouled out at the end of the game, a Boston Celtics team... That went up 2-0. Now, the first game, the first game was one of those sliding doors moments. If Brooklyn gets that game, this series looks different. Boston still wins, I think. I picked Boston at six. I have no qualms about any of that. But Boston went to Brooklyn and we're like, we're not stealing one. We're sweeping your ass out of the playoffs and we're sending you a message that you think your window is going to be open for so long. You think you got the best player on the planet and the right sidekick. And the third guy who theoretically will play basketball again at some point. You got to go through us now. We're trying to shut your window before you even think it could possibly be shut. The Brooklyn Nets in three seasons with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And I realize that's not really fair because injuries destroyed their team in the first season. Durant missed the whole thing. Kyrie was hurt for the bubble. Didn't go to the bubble. They've won one playoff series in three seasons. One. They need more time to gel, Bobby. Um, Kyrie Irving said last night that um, he will resign or extend or opt in or he'll he'll be with he'll be with seven next year, and he views him and Durant as co-managing the franchise with Sean Marks and Joe Sy. Co-managing the franchise, Bobby. How about this? How about how about we start with playing for the franchise? In three seasons, Kyrie Irving has played 103 basketball games. I don't really have the energy to do the math right now, but that's like 35 a year. The NBA has 82 in normal years. He's played 103 games in three years, and he's talking about managing the franchise. He's talking, he's lamenting 
Now, he took some accountability last night in some of the comments I saw about, you know, he felt like he was a distraction and he let his team down. That's great to hear when the season is over. Two days ago, Kyrie was lamenting how Boston has this chemistry and they've gelled and and they've had all this time to gel and we just haven't. Artful use of the passive voice. We just... We just haven't had time. I wonder why you haven't had time to gel and have any chemistry this season. What? Wonder why. Not sure how that happened to you. The Nets had three stars on their team. One of them. I'm talking about at the beginning of the season. One out of three. One third. Checked off the following two boxes when training camp opened. Three superstars played the, paid the maximum salary to play basketball. One checked off these two boxes available to play games and in shape one of three that's it James Harden showed up out of shape Kyrie Irving showed up unvaccinated couldn't play home games I don't want to hear the complaining about the laws and all this and the tension surrounding all of those things broke up the team before it had any chance to do anything maybe Harden maybe definitely Harden was upset that Kyrie was unvaccinated and couldn't play and he felt like he had to carry too much of a load. Maybe Kyrie and KD were upset that Harden showed up out of shape and unable to carry too much of a load. Maybe all of that exploded and something had to give. But Bobby, here we are, an absolute colossal failure at the hands of a team that, by the way, we should be talking about more. Just a dominant, for the last 50 games, 45 games, the Celtics have been the most dominant team in the NBA. Redemption of sorts for Danny Ainge, who's been pilloried for missing some draft picks in the middle of the first round, where, by the way, everybody misses. Their draft record overall is well above average, or uh, average to above average. Pilloried for hoarding his assets, not trading Jalen Brown for Kawhi Leonard, not being aggressive enough with his picks. Lo and behold, Boston's starting lineup has four Danny Ainge draft picks, and their bench has two Danny Ainge draft picks, and they are destroying Everybody, how are you supposed to score? We can talk about how bad Kyrie Irving. By the way, Kyrie Irving after game one, Bobby, forty-six points on sixteen of forty-three shooting. I think eight backdoor cuts against him. Just my unofficial, unofficial count. How are you supposed to score against Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Grant Williams, and Al Horford? Like, good luck. You need six guys. They need another guy to do that. Bobby, what are we? What are we? What? What happens now for the Nets? What are we doing now? The next year is is a, a, like a massive, massive year. Well, it's an epic disaster. I mean, when and it's when I wrote the article that's up on ESPN.com. I said, I said, do you remember back in Christmas Day, December two thousand twenty? They go into Boston, they blow them out. They have Durant and they've got Kyrie and they've got all these nice role players, Karis LeVert and Jared Allen and Spencer Dinwiddie. And and I remember saying at the time, like, that's how you want to put a team together, right? Two all-star. You don't have to give up anything. All you had to do was just sign them a cap space. Like you didn't have to mortgage draft picks and then just have everyone else kind of filter around. And ever since then, it has been drama, drama, drama. Irving gets suspended. He goes AWOL. They're 500. They um, they make the Harden trade where they give up everything. Um, we see some great moments, right? You know, during that year, um, playoffs happen, injuries, and this year was a. I mean, basically, there was leaks in the boat, and 
you know, there wasn't enough like supplies to, to patch it together here. And so where does, where does the Brooklyn Nets go here? The likelihood is that you are going to have Kyrie or you're going to have Kyrie Irving back. I mean, that's, I mean, it's just a matter of what the contract's going to be. Is it four years, 190 million? Um, is it, do you get I, 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 hold on, hold on. I just, sorry. I just threw up a little bit in my mouth when you said four years, 190 million for a guy who's played 103 games yeah. in three years. He's got leverage, Zach. I mean, and he does self, where, his, what's the leverage? His self, his, who's his, signing his, Kyrie? His, lever, his leverage. And if he ever lost this leverage, his leverage right now is Kevin Durant. That's it. That's it. That's the lever. That's the leverage play here is Kevin Durant to use him. Um, but his lack, his lack of self-awareness is just, I mean, you can talk about this for an hour. I mean, like, like even in the, even in the game three, when he took, you know, Jeff made a good Van Gundy make, he takes a take foul right on that one play probably, you know, puts Boston in the bonus. And then it, you know, cost them at the end because he's playing with five fouls, but that's another story for another day. But it starts with what do you do with Kyrie Irving? Do you trust him? Um, coming back and when you look at what the options are you've got Simmons you've got Durant you've got Joe Harris like your cap ledger is like you just let him say you know what go do go find go to Indiana go to one of these teams with cap space we'll work out a sign and trade like that that is very very hard to do so Ben Simmons just sat out the whole season sat the whole thing out and that's why, like, I, when we, we, and I know we, we talked back in February when the trade happened. Like, I, I, yeah, I thought we were eventually going to see, see Ben Simmons somewhere. Like, dude, maybe. he said into a microphone, I think it's reasonable. Reasonable is a good word. Reasonable is the right word for game four. These leaks coming from so many directions, I don't even know where they came from. He's ramping up. Steve Nash saying, I don't know. He hasn't played five on five. This situation from the minute. He decided to ditch the Sixers until this minute we are recording this podcast was so badly mismanaged by literally everyone involved. Everyone has blood on their hands. Every single person. Simmons' people, the Nets' people, the Sixers' people. It's an unbelievable disaster. And Stephen A. Smith is right. Stephen A. Smith said these three words on national television the other day in ranting about Simmons. Pay for play. The CBA negotiations are starting. The opt-out deadline is next December. There are absolutely going to be teams, particularly small market teams, who make proposals, and I think some of these proposals have already been made informally, to tie salary with some uh, huge mega exceptions for uh, team leeway with their own players if they really trust them, to acute injuries, to this and that. To tie salary in some sort of tiering percentile system to availability. Stephen A. Smith said pay for play. When they put that in the CBA, now I don't know if they're going to get that because that's a blood issue for the union and it should be. They're going to call it the Ben Simmons rule. And we're going to call it the Ben Simmons rule, whatever it's called. And he's absolutely right. And in Simmons and Irving, to pivot back to your point looking forward, the Nets have the two players with the biggest negative differential between their talent and their trade value that, frankly, I can ever remember since Latrell Sprewell choked P.J. Carlissimo. Like, I, I just don't even know. Like, they just can't do anything with these guys. They You you want to sit here and say, well, Ben Simmons, maybe they should just trade him. Kyrie, what, where? Who? What, the, they haven't played. Ben Simmons hasn't played. Now there's mental hurdles all of a sudden being thrown into these stories. 
Who is trading for that guy at, fair, at anything like fair value? Well, and when I thought the Nets really dropped the ball, basically, I would have just ruled him out. I would have just ruled him out for the playoffs. You think they dropped the ball on this one? I mean, because wait, basically what you did was you just rolled out your head coach every day. You know, he's like, oh, I don't know. Did he? I don't know if he, you know. Let's talk wanna... about that for a second. I'm fired up today, Bobby. Steve Nash leads your article as someone who deserves blame. Well, yeah. Fireable blame? No. Fireable offense blame? No. Part, like a, a quarter, 10%? Oh no no! I don't I don't think Steve Nash did like an amazing job. They have zero flow on offense, yeah. and if you contrast them with the Celtics, which we just saw them play four games, you'd see possessions where Durant has Horford or Irving has Tice on a switch, and instead of going back there, which is the whole point of the initial action you just ran was to get that matchup. Someone else will just isolate against Jason Tatum. You're like, dude, what are you doing? You just did the whole thing to get that. On the flip side, there are multiple possessions, particularly the last two games, when Tatum would get whatever matchup he wanted. The Nets could never figure out the Jason, the Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum two-man game. They still they need to have a whole month of off-season meetings about how to go under screens when Marcus Smart is the ball handler. They just they couldn't do it. To Tatum's credit, when he's the screener, he's very good at rolling those screens downhill, so it's hard to do. You should have been able to figure that one out. As soon as he gets a mismatch and passes it off to Smart, Smart is passing it right back to him. That's a team that's focused and knows what it's doing to a team that's not. And we don't even need to get into the rest of this stuff. But, but, I mean, if you're sitting there as a fan and you're putting all of that blame on Steve Nash and saying a coaching change is going to change everything. First of all, KD went to bat for Steve Nash. So that's 90% of what matters. Second of all, yeah. You think this dude has had a second to, like, implement anything? All that guy, all Steve Nash and Sean Marks have spent the last two years doing is plugging holes in the dam. Just media holes, leak holes, drama holes, vaccination holes. They haven't been able to do that. It's miserable. Every time I see one of those guys, it's like I just want to buy them a beer and hug them. It's, he basically had to manage Right, manage chaos for two years, manage drama, manage the locker room, who's playing, who's not playing, um, and it kind of you know culminated with the Simmons situation. You know, basically him, as I said, being rolled out every day after, you know, asking is Ben Simmons playing? Um, and when you look at the big picture here, um, he, he, this guy hasn't had a roster to coach except for in you know, small sample, you know, minutes, I think big picture here, you know, certainly how they've built this roster. And when you look at, I call it a Laker esque off season from Brooklyn, as far as their free agents last year, when you look at guys like James Johnson, who didn't finish the rot, you know, was basically waived before the season for Kessler Edwards, who couldn't play in the playoffs, Blake, who was basically shot until games four and five. LaMarcus Aldridge couldn't see the court. Um, DeAndre Bembry was waived. Javon Carter was waived. Like, like the roster construction there where you had a lot of small, you had no wings. You had no wings at all. You had small, I mean, when you roll that team out against Boston, Mills, Drogic, 
Curry, a small group. Yeah, no wings at all. Um, so there, there's a lot to, there, there's a, and then and you, you didn't manage the, the I think the, the Harden situation too. Like, I wonder if, if you ask Brooklyn right now, you know what? We're just going to roll the dice. You know what? James Harden, you know, we know it's toxic. We know he basically quit on us. We're just going to roll the dice. We're not going to trade him. We're going to try to figure this out over the next couple of months. And if he, if he wants to go to Philly in the offseason, let him gut their team. Let him trade Tobias Harris and, you know, Seth Curry in this. And I think that, you know, if you ask them now, I think there would probably be an internal debate about, like, you know what? Maybe we should have just rolled the dice here. When you look at the Harden trade, and now in 2022, I have to specify, I mean, the third Harden trade. Stephen A. Smith, I was, he was apologizing to Daryl Morey yesterday on TV saying, you, you won the Harden trade. The Nets lost the Harden trade. Ben Simmons can't play. We go back and forth in, this, in these moments. Who won the trade? Who lost the trade? Maybe everybody lost. Maybe humanity just lost the James Harden trade. Ben Simmons hasn't played, but he's 25 or 26 years old on a long-term contract. Theoretically fits hand in glove with the two Nets superstars. I am so sick of saying the word theoretically regarding the Brooklyn Nets, but I have to. James Harden can't get by anyone on 75% of his drives. Is using the basketball as a weapon, whapping people in the face with it like he's playing stationary dodgeball because that's the only way he can get separation is to literally hit people with his elbows or the basketball. And the Sixers have done the rare thing of going up 3-0 and facing a game six against the Raptors team who has absolutely zero fear of them. By the way, you can't beat the Raptors without Fred Van Vliet, with Scotty Barnes missing half the series or whatever it is. That series isn't over yet? What are you doing? Finish the series. All due respect to the Raptors. Maybe everybody just... And James Harden is a free agent because he missed his opt-in deadline. Whoops. Like, I believe that's the actual explanation for what happened. I missed the opt-in deadline? And they're going to have to pay him some enormous amount of money? Maybe maybe we all maybe we all just lost, Bobby. Maybe everyone's a loser. Maybe you're a loser. I'm a loser. <laughs> We're all losers. Well, considering that him and Irving will probably make over $400 million this offseason. God bless they America. Lose. They didn't lose. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think everybody lost in this situation, and I mean, you're right about Philadelphia. I mean, got on, and and a lethargic game five, and they are. I think they're on the ropes, you know. And that's probably another podcast. Here, that's but. another. That's an if to, if to, uh, I can't right now. Take us back to Brooklyn's future. So here's what we've got. Well, here's here's what I here's what I I wrote in the article, and I said was like basically they're they're chance of competing for a championship relies on a player in Simmons who hasn't played in a game since last June and another in Joe Harris who's coming off reconstructive ankle surgery. I mean, that's... His hair looks great, though. <laughs> that's, the, that's the reality. That's, that's the 30-word that's the Cliff Notes version of a 3,500-word article where you look at, they've got nine free agents, they're, they, Zach, they could potentially have the most salary 
in luxury tax. Good, in, good. In NBA I history. Hope, I hope year. they do. I hope they do because they because why own why be a, I don't know how much is Joe Sly worth so many billions. You might as well just go all in, right? Matter. I mean, like you're not. I mean, might as well. You might as well. You got. You're gonna have to figure out what you do with Bruce Brown, Nick Claxton. You know, Better I mean, resign Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown's one of the only dudes who freaking showed up for this series every single game until they had to bench him last night. Not bench him, but didn't play him in the second half because they need spacing for their their stars. And and for all Bruce Brown is, he is a sometimes reluctant, less so now, three-point shooter who likes to live in the little painted area in the dunker spot. And they said, we just can't have you on the floor because we need Claxton or Drummond for defense. We got, God knows we don't need Claxton to hit free throws. Mike, how, how are... I almost think they can't re-sign Claxton because I can't have Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton on the same team. It's too many stressful free throws. Bobby, what am I going to do? What was, I think he – I think he, what did he end the series? Four of 22. <laughs> his his market uh, – oof, man. I, I think there's a role, but, I mean, how, how much do you trust him, though? I mean, okay, that's all right. Okay, thing. forget Nick Claxton. <laughs> Well, and Andre Drum. Hey, I had penciled. I had thought Andre Drummond for the tax mid level. You know, hey, there was, and then like you get to the playoffs and he's unplayable. They need to let's just let's just go bring back Darren Williams and Joe Johnson. Let's just go. <laughs> let's because hey, no, hey, okay. So we, here's, hey, here's at least a, we at least we competed in that Miami series in 2014. At least we competed in the Atlanta series in 2015. Look, they compete. They they competed in this series in the in games one. In every game, it was Pelton had. It's like the least. It's the least yeah. margin of victory for a sweep ever. That game one goes differently. This is a six-game series minimum. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there? Whether it's roofers, Santa. Birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons. Watch out for them. You name it. They won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. You look at this team for next season. I've said this repeatedly over the last three months. Their apex is Irving, Curry, Harris, whose loss has been completely under the radar in the national media as a, as a wing who can defend, who's got some size and can shoot and shoot off movement and shoot threes, lots of threes. Irving, Curry, Harris, Durant, Simmons. 
That's the five-man closing lineup. That is a death lineup. That has a, a probably enough, maybe enough size, defense, rebounding to go along with the fact that it's got one non-shooter in Simmons who can be Draymond Green in that lineup and just spray passes to everyone. Everyone can shoot. It's a great lineup. Then, and this dovetails into how they got to this place. We can revisit their past and their future now. They have stuff now. Courtesy of the Sixers. They have extra first-round picks to play with. Or not extra. They've recouped some picks to play with. And I think they will and should go into the trade market with those picks. They're young guys who are interesting. Like Camp Thomas is interesting. Sharp has some fans around the league. They run Sharp. Kessler Edwards shows some stuff. And say, what supporting pieces can I get? Can I get Jakob Pertl for two first-round picks at a young guy? Can I get Royce O'Neal uh, out of the crumbling remains of the Jazz if they lose. Can I get some support players who fit this vision? Because I got to win right now. Kevin Durant is what, 32? What is Kevin Durant? I don't know. Whatever age he is. Um, he, 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 this series was rough for him. The turnovers were like, what in the world is going on? Um, I, I got to win. It reinforced the urgency to win now. Can I flip some of that stuff can I try to win the Simmons trade, not just by rehabilitating Simmons, but by flipping some of that stuff into, into things that help me win now? That's a good team. That's a team that can chase the title next season. Um, I, I think that's – I don't I don't know that they're going to do that with those young guys and their picks. Durant is 34 soon, I'm being told. Um, uh, I, I don't know that they're going to do that, but I suspect they'll try. Well, I mean – First, the, the, they've got this pick from Philadelphia in June. Um, they've gotten to June 1st to make a decision as far as the defer to 2023. My my assumption is that it likely gets deferred because I would rather have an unprotected first in 2023 than probably the 23rd pick in this year's draft because who knows what happens in Philadelphia, right? I mean, Embiid likely will have surgery after the season for this thumb. Another year of hardened aging. Who knows if... Who knows if who, who who even the coach is if this turns into an epic disaster of a collapse there. So the likelihood is that you have an unprotected first in 2023 and then a, um, a, another first in 27 and 28 that's top eight protected from the Sixers. And then you've got these trade exceptions. You know, you can go out and move a first and takes so you've got an 11.3, a 6.3. You've got some pieces there to go out and, and take a player back. You've got your mid-level exception. I would say that the likelihood is unless he just wants to get out of there. I mean, Patty Mills struggled, let's face it, post um, basically post Jan 15 when he played all those minutes. He's got a player option. I would say that he would probably opt in. Um, so there are, yes, there are pieces there as far as to build back your bench, but it will cost you from a salary standpoint luxury tax, but you've got a ridiculously wealthy owner. And if he doesn't care, he doesn't care. And then it will cost you, you know, probably the draft assets you got back in the Simmons deal. Speaking of ridiculously wealthy owners, you know, I just, in the last couple of years, there's been this weird parallel between the Nets and the Clippers as like the little brother, big city teams with, you know, not as glorious a history as their big city counterparts. So the Knicks' glorious history is fading very far into the rearview. Who um, sort of rebrand as the smart, plucky up-and-comers with the big front offices and expanded staffs and cutting-edge sports science and build these 
over through smart cap management and smart drafting, build these overachieving mid-40s win teams that they then flip into star-laden teams and everyone's lauding them like, look at these Nets and the Clippers. You know, they've surpassed their big city rivals. They're so smart. And all that stuff is true. And I'm just starting to believe maybe they're just both cursed. Like, like the minute the play-in starts, Paul George, COVID's over for the NBA and Paul George somehow tests positive for COVID right before the play-in and the Clippers are out of the playoffs. Kawhi gets hurt. They melt down in the bubble before that. And now the Nets, it's like, I'm just, I, I'm beginning to think something. And meanwhile, the Lakers, for all the stuff we've been mocking them for, they won the title two years ago. And I don't want to hear how the bubble doesn't count. They won. I'm just, maybe it's just helpless. Maybe these teams are just cursed and they're just, there's just nothing they can do. Well, the, the one thing with regarding the Clippers and, and, and they made it a priority, I think it was like two years ago. Um, and, and Steve Ballmer was pretty upfront about it, is like their lack of development of young players. And, and they went out and prioritized that when you look at whether it be Terrence Mann or Kennard, you know, that group of guys, guys they even drafted, um, you know, this Pat BJ Boston, Amir Coffey, just, you know, fringe guys that have turned into somewhat rotational They're players. They're super and, high on the Preston kid. And Jason Preston. And the goal is that they didn't want to be going through this process of just spitting out minimum, you know, players every year because you don't – it's it's hard to keep on turning it over, right? I mean, like you saw with the Lakers last year, you saw with the Nets this year. You go out and you have to go out and sign six or seven players at a veteran minimum exception, and then you lose them, and then you got to start it over again. There's your foundation is not there, and that's I think a little bit of the difference where where the Clippers are right now than you know where Brooklyn is, where you know your two young players is you know Cam Thomas and, and Daron Sharp, um, you know who didn't you know contribute this year. Now you're, you're going to need them to be part of your rotation next year. You nailed it. And that's the discussion that I really want to go back to is there's going to be this debate now. There already is about super teams, whether super teams are dead, whether big threes are dead, and all the things you sacrifice to get a big three and fit a big three and all the churn of minimum salaries and draft picks out the door and how short your window is when you build around three guys in their 30s, right? And the Nets, I wrote this column in September 2019 about big twos versus big threes. That was the summer of the big two, right? Kawhi and PG teamed up. Yeah. LeBron and AD were teaming up. Like everyone was, oh, it's a big two. Big big two plus depth is the new thing. And I wrote in that column, there's going to be another big three soon. Like this is not a trend. And I used the Nets and the Clippers as an example of the two teams that were facing this dilemma. And I said the Nets are going to chase a third star. That's what's going to happen. And you outline it. And the Nets had this team that you just outlined of, of Durant and Irving plus Lavert, Dinwiddie, Joe Harris, Jared Allen, Torian Prince, whatever. Irving, Durant, and some quality depth around it, right? And that just—it's more fungible. You got more stuff. You got more depth, and they—and they had a choice, or I—I fall—I wrongly framed it as sort of a binary choice between keep that team together, or trade everything for the third guy. And I wrote that they'll probably trade everything for the third guy, and one of the reasons why is if you have three stars, you can still win some of the time when one of them gets hurt. And we saw that last year. Durant was so close to getting them into the conference finals. Would they have won the title? I'm less convinced than some people are. Um, but it's not a binary choice. 
because and 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 the reason the reason I erred on the side of big three or thought they would go in big three is because Harris was already expensive and about to become more expensive. Levert was on an eighteen million dollar deal that's still going now. Allen was about to make a lot of money. Dinwiddie was about to make a lot of money. All of a sudden, the depth that looks cute and plucky when it's on rookie contracts gets super duper expensive, and there's a there's a line of thought that well, if my depth, if I'm paying like a lot of money for guys who are fifth, sixth, seventh guys, I might as well pay like a little bit less and consolidate that into a guy guy. And that's sort of what they did. But there's a middle way. And Boston is is living that middle way now, which is two stars and depth. And you don't necessarily just pay everybody and roll the depth over and and go super vaulting into the luxury tax. You have to churn that depth a little bit, which means you're going to have to sacrifice a Dinwiddie, but maybe you keep a Levert and, oh my God, Jared Allen. By the way, you know who's redeemed too? Kenny Atkinson, who lost his job in part because he had the audacity to point out what everybody with eyes and a brain knew. Jared Allen is better than DeAndre Jordan now and way more important to our team like tomorrow. And that didn't go over very well. He got fired. Jacques Vaughn's first game. DeAndre Jordan starting in the in the Brooklyn Nets starting five. So you keep some of that depth, right? You keep some of it, not all of it. And you draft well. So you have a, a Grant Williams and a Peyton Pritchard coming off the bench for cheap. And when one of those guys gets more expensive, you might have to lose them or trade them for something. And you got to draft well behind them. Meanwhile, you keep the flexibility constantly to get a Derek White level contract or a Jonas Valanciunas level contract, like a $15 million salary slot that you have to churn every couple of years and find a new guy as people age or whatever. That's hard to do. The Nets chose the third star way with Harden. They're almost kind of living the middle way now, having swapped Harden for Curry, Drummond, Simmons, and more picks. And we'll see where they go from there. But do you think they should regret the Harden decision or not? I mean, from it was, and we talked about. It, I mean, it was going to cost them more financially if you kept, you know, your your complementary players compared to doing the Harden trade. I mean, I think, I mean, I think you, I think you regret the Harden decision based on what it eventually turned into. I don't think doing the Harden. I mean, like when those two guys played, <laughs> I mean, like, like it was, it was awesome, right? Like the sample games that Boston series a year ago. I mean, that was incredible. That was a high-level machine. I can tell the you Chicago this. Game this. Zach, the Chicago game this year when they went out there in Chicago and blew them out by 40? I mean, like, that was a well-oiled machine. So the the appeal of that those three guys, I don't think there's regret because you knew what it, what, what it could have been. I think the, the regret now is the aftermath of it as far as what you're living with. Now, you knew. On the one hand, you knew that Harden was an aging risk because of everything we know about Harden. On the other hand, you could not have foreseen this vaccination thing going haywire and maybe like an, an acute hamstring injury at the very wrong time, right? That's all that said, I agree with you. I don't I don't think it's I think it's it's fair to look back at that big 2 big 3 decision and think about a middle way that I didn't write about at the time, but to me 
those three guys, when they were healthy, they had by far the best team in the league. It wasn't close. They were going to just light the whole league on fire, and it was not going to be competitive. They had a championship team. You do this to, to win a championship. They had a championship team. Then it, it, it may turn out that they had a championship team for one part of one season, and that's it, and it went haywire. But they did have a championship caliber team. The other thing about the big two versus big three is all of these discussions are a little bit facile because it, it's all roster specific, right? So a lot of it is who's your big two? Is it Pippen and Jordan where you have two of the top five guys, Shaq and Kobe, LeBron and Wade? who went for a third star and won two titles? Is it, a, is it a big two of two top five to six players who are perfect complements to each other? I don't think the Nets had that in Durant and Irving. Durant's obviously a top five player. Kyrie Irving is not and I, has never been and I don't think has ever been close. And they complement each other, but not at like a Shaq, Kobe, Pippen, Jordan kind of level. So if you have the first best player and the 18th best player and their mix is a B, not an A, then I think it's fair to go chase. Then I think it's fair to conclude we might need a big three because our big two isn't LeBron and AD at their apex level big two. Um, I don't think they should have a ton of regret for the Harden trade. And I think they've almost accidentally placed themselves in a middle road now that could be productive for them. The question is, what do they do with it? And how long are Durant and Irving going to be this good to keep their window open? Because Boston ain't going anywhere. Milwaukee ain't going anywhere. And other teams are coming. Well, and, that, and that's why like, I marvel at what Miami has been able to do. Like what the Heat have been able to do. Because they're kind of like, they've got their two guys with Bam and Jimmy. I mean, I don't, I don't want to put Kyle probably up there. That's not a, really a, a, a big three. But like, you know, you have no Kyle for game was a game four in Atlanta and you got like Gabe Vincent and Max Struess, um, Tyler hero. I mean, that's, that's the three, your three guard lineup out there. And you basically like you find and you develop guys in your G league team in Sioux falls. And eventually like there, they'll be, as you said, like they'll be a, too expensive. And then the next Gabe Vincent will come in two years from now. And that's just how they, that's what, how they do things where, like their high, their payroll is high. I mean, with you know Duncan Robinson, you know with, with his number also, but they find those in between players where they don't have to go out and sign eight veteran minimums again. I mean, they're really the only guys on on the on the vet min is is Old Depot and Mark Keith Morris, and those guys are replaceable. It's. It's easy to be doom and gloom for the Nets right now, and let's, this is a complete disaster. They have a shot next year to come back really, really good. They just got to nail a lot of things. And yeah. obviously, I, I've said this since the Simmons, since before the Simmons-Harden trade. Like, yeah, the fit is amazing on paper. Can he play? Will we see him play? And I'm sympathetic to the mental health elements of it. I'm not going to sit here and bash him for feeling anxiety or stress or about his injury, about his underperformance in the clutch, about what the reaction is going to be like when he comes back. Like, I can't imagine what that feels like. I don't think the people criticizing him can imagine what it feels like to be on a public stage like that. I can't. But that said, he's a basketball player and he's got to play at some point for this for this team to be anything like what it envisions it, it, itself being. Um, let's talk about Durant for a second because you do have these moments where you're like, how 
how did this how did Kevin Durant one of the 10 best players of all time a a player unlike any we've ever seen in the NBA how did he end up here where as i said he he's in Brooklyn Brooklyn didn't even have a team like 10 years ago he's in Brooklyn wearing black and white jerseys playing on a gray court <laughs> On a three-star team where he's the only star who could be bothered to be both available and in shape at the beginning of the season. How, how did he and – now, and now he's being – now you hear a lot of people say, you know, what a mistake to hitch his wagon to Kyrie Irving late in his career. You know, what a mistake. And I, I mean, I don't know. Is it a mistake? Because he in, he rewind in 2016. He goes to Golden State. Gets lambasted for joining the super team. Cupcake, all that. Wins two titles. And I'll never forget interviewing Steve Nash as they were winning the second one. Because Steve Nash was his like personal coach confidant with the Warriors, among other jobs that Steve Nash had as a consultant there. And he talked about Kevin Durant's workouts in the summer after they won the first title and how he just seemed weirdly dispirited. Like winning a title didn't change, didn't change the way he felt about life or basketball as much as he appeared to have anticipated it would. And I don't know Kevin Durant. I can't pretend to know him. But all I know is this. He, he changed teams. He left what was very clearly a winning, glorious situation to build his own thing in Brooklyn with a friend slash teammate of his choice. And I think I can only conclude that, it, look, he, if he didn't realize, then he, he, he checked out of the discourse, which is fine. I would if I were him. On some level, I think he had to have realized I've never – people like like Barkley are going to say my rings don't count here. It's never going to be his team. It was never going to be his team in Golden State, ever. That's what happens when you join a 73-win team with a beloved superstar who changed basketball and other homegrown stars. I got to do something for me to build my legacy, something that's mine. And he's trying to do that in Brooklyn and – they damn near almost did it. I, 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 I don't blame anyone for their personal decisions. This is Kevin Durant's personal life. He can do whatever he wants. I do think it's fair. to. I've always said this. Go to the Warriors. I don't care. Join a super team. It's your life. You want to live in San Francisco? San Francisco's awesome. Awesome. The team's awesome. Is it fun to play with the Warriors? Man, I would love to play with the Warriors. Put me out there. It's awesome. Do whatever you want. I think it's fair to say, yes, of course I support. I'm not going to criticize a person's personal decision. But at the same time, it did make the NBA more boring for a while. Like, we watch sports. This is what I wrote. We watch sports to see the best players under pressure, under enormous pressure. That's what's that's the drama. They didn't really face a lot of that until the Rockets series in their second year, which was interesting. But, you know, the finals were easy both times against the Cavs. Uh, and then everyone got injured in the next year. And, and I think it's just fair to sort of lament that, yeah, we lost a little something as as fans during those three seasons when KD was with the Warriors. And that brings you back to 2016, and you start looking back at his options. You're like, Bobby, what the hell was he supposed to do? Like, like well, what 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 was the option? Well, that's fun, and it's funny because everyone is mentioning the Celtics, right? That's one of the teams that he. Um, you met with at the Hamptons. In the Hamptons. So I went back and I pulled up their cap sheet from, from June 26, 2016, right? This was the sell from the Boston Celtics. They had just drafted Jalen Brown. There was no Jason Tatum on that team. They just drafted a player that many thought that 
the Celtics reached for when they picked him, right? That was the consensus here. Avery Bradley, Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, a young Marcus Smart, Amir Johnson, and Kelly Olynyk. Coming off a first-round loss in the 4-5 or five series to the Hawks, I believe. Now, by the time they met with Durant, they had Horford in the bag. Correct. That is correct. So, does that what does that do for him? That's basically him going there and saying, like, the challenge, right? It's about the challenge of, you know, not being a super team. and But we're, I mean. I mean now, they did make the conference finals the following that's, year. That's but, correct. And eventually they, they drafted Tatum. Um, so that would have been a little, you would have had to wait, right? It wasn't a kind of like a finished product there like Golden State was. Um, but that's the thing. You look at these teams that he met with. Boston. Now, of course, you say, well, he should have signed with Boston. Tom Brady came. It was a whole dog and pony show. I, we have seen now with these stars, and Kawhi is the big example from the last few years. They need they look for another guy. And at that point, Horford was not – Horford was a big deal to sign with Boston, but he wasn't like a guy. He wasn't a top 10 all-NBA first, second team guy. Boston didn't have that. He meets with the Heat. The Heat are like a mess at that point. Like they're the Heat, but they're a mess. They're like coming out of the Bosch clot thing. Wade's old and maybe leaving. They just re-signed Whiteside. They're doubling down on all these guys who end up being problems for their team. He meets with the Spurs. He meets with the Clippers. And like those are the teams you look at. Knowing what we know now, he probably just should have been like, I want to go to that team. And I want to and I want to force my way there. Yeah. And maybe that's what the Clippers meeting was because they didn't have cap room to sign them. Now it's hard for teams who haven't been given, who haven't prepped for it, because then you have to sacrifice a lot to open up the cap room. But you know, ironically, the Spurs who met with him. I mean, he goes there with Kawhi. He's the best player. They're going to be unbeatable. Um, but you look at these options, and it's like I don't. I mean, like I kind of get. And he didn't. Clearly, he didn't want to go back to the Thunder. Otherwise, he would have. Maybe that's the one you look back on, man. If he, and then you start looking back on what if Clay doesn't hit all the threes in Game Six, or what if Draymond doesn't get suspended in the finals and the Warriors go on to win the title, and you're like, your head just starts to blow up. Well, I mean, you hit it. I think you hit it right on the point. I mean, like the 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 way of the cap space, you know, like it was in 2010 um, with you know the guys in Miami with LeBron and 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 Bosch, and then 2016 with Durant. Like nowadays, that's not how it goes, right? I mean, the Brooklyn situation in 19, where they signed Durant and Kyrie outright, like that doesn't happen. Like nowadays, you get traded. A player gets traded here, and so if if you know, now, if this was a situation instead of 2016, you were right. I mean, it's basically like instead of being limited to the five teams with New York and San Antonio and Boston, Golden State, Oklahoma City, I could pick where I want to go. Oklahoma City can get something back for me instead of losing outright. Um, so, I mean, your his options were, you know, they are what they are. I mean, Golden State probably presented the best did present the best uh, opportunity because there was already guys, as you said, Curry, Thompson, Green were there where none of the other teams could could offer that. Now, at the end of the day, in 20 years, all of this noise is going to be quiet. And even if they never win another title, even if he never wins another title, he stays in Brooklyn the rest of his career doesn't win another title. 
in 20 years, the shot over LeBron in the finals is good, is already iconic and will be more so. We're, I don't think the debate about his finals MVPs is going to be like it is today. He's just going to be regarded as Kevin freaking Durant, top 10 player of all time. As is, it just it's undeniably his career arc is just undeniably weird. It's unusual. We haven't really seen anything like it. And I I, I don't really know. I, there are a million, you know, sliding doors, paths not taken and all that. Well, it's just, it's just weird. But here's the thing too, is like, and it's like he had, you know, certainly had the injuries this year, but like, like he had a heck of a regular season. That's the thing. Everyone's like, like it, it wasn't like hard and we saw the decline, right? Like we saw like in our own eyes, we watched it. Like, like he carried this team from, you know, without Irving, like he had a, like, you know, high level. So it's not like you, you walk him and man, this guy is 34. And like, I think we're going to, we, we, we saw the best of Kevin Durant, you know, a year ago. I don't, I don't feel that. I don't feel that with this. Maybe he should have just, I mean, he shouldn't have done anything like, but you think about like, he could have signed like a one year deal with the thunder, but maybe it was just broken. Maybe it was just broken and it was, it was time to go. And he wanted to leave for a, a bigger city, a different market. You could make up anything. I was going through cap sheets in 2016 and rosters in 2016. And I was like, man, what a badass move it would have been if, if, if you, again, picking your, picking your guy, what a badass move it would have been if he had just been like, Anthony Davis is amazing. I'm signing with the Pelicans. Like that was, I just, just like, there's infinite things you could say. He did what he did. He won two titles. He was a finals MVP twice which means he was the best player when it mattered the most. And it he's living a great life. Like there's no way to really criticize it. It's also undeniable that it's just weird. It's just a weird career. I just don't I don't think it changes who he is as a player, but we haven't seen him win like the perfect title, the Dirk 2011 title, the the you know, I don't make up the Kyle Lowry 2019 title to use a player way further down on the total. But I don't know what the perfect. Maybe there is no perfect title anymore. I don't know. I mean, well, the perfect title is that you're the you're the main guy, and then you have a, a bunch of really good, you know, no, I guess pure all star around you. Yeah, Curry, Curry players. 2015. Maybe that's the yeah. perfect. I don't know. You know, I I don't, I don't know if there is a perfect title anymore. But boy, oh boy, any concluding thoughts from your, your piece that's up on ESPN.com on, on where the Nets go from here and what happens now, or have we exhausted everything and it's time to move on? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of here. It, it is what it is, right? I mean, it, we, we know what, you know, we, I mean, you're kind of in a holding pattern until you find out what happens with Simmons and Harris returns and Irving will be back. And, um, you know, now it's just a matter of how much they want to spend. That's that's going to be the big thing. Like I went through, you know, I mean, we always say like in 2014 after the trade with Boston um, and then we lose to Miami, like our we were different just because like like you basically had seen that this roster had gotten so old and ownership didn't want to bring Paul Pierce back and didn't want to spend. And that that's fine. That's but here I think it's here. It's different because I do think there are still that untapped potential, right? Like I think there's, there's that the, the great unknown, if you're the owner saying like, I've got Kevin Durant, I've got Kyrie Irving, knock on wood, Ben Simmons. I'm not going to take shortcuts now because it's not fair. It's not fair to Kevin Durant who just signed a four year, $190 million extension last year. Because if you start, if you start taking shortcuts, like 
<laughs> these guys aren't these guys aren't done. So I think I think owner they, they'll spend. Um, I think they'll spend as far as looking at options with their trade exception. I think they'll look options with their mid-level, I think with their own free agents here. So, um, but I think probably the best thing is that they get away. <laughs> I mean, like just like get away. And in a day, we probably won't be talking about the Brooklyn Nets anymore. And we'll just be focusing about, you know, what's going on in the rest of the NBA world. The other thing about just to go back to Durant, I'd forgot about this. The Durant Miami meeting. I do think there it, that's a loss for him because if he goes to Miami, he's going to be accused of following LeBron's footsteps and all that. So that's a loss for him. And you're right, the Nets. The Nets will be back next year. Like they 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 kind of prolong their timeline by getting younger with Simmons. Like this should all work out fine. It just doesn't just doesn't feel like that. The, the, again, Simmons represents that kind of almost like a middle way third star for them the way Drew Holiday would have if they had traded a little bit less for Drew Holiday, which was a name that they were allegedly interested in back in back in the day. But that's over. We move on. Bobby Marks, you've got other offseason guides to work on. Get get your Utah one prepped. Get your Atlanta one prepped. Get your who else do we need? Well, you, we got some time with the other series. Toronto, well, maybe. Know, oh, hopefully. No, Phoenix, uh, uh, Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have all of them done by the end of the week here. But Zach, it's been a pleasure. I mean, you we started this podcast with your hat, I believe, forward. Now it is it, it Zach got so excited that he, he looked like an umpire here. The hat is I know, backwards. and I've made fun of a certain governor who his a tendency to wear his hat backwards, and now I'm wearing my hat backwards. I gotta turn it around. <laughs> there we go. I'm all not right. in public back, though. I'm in back. private. I'm in private. Okay. All right, Bobby Marks. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thanks, Zach. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? Full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. For the ones who get it done. Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. All right, let's bring in Tim Band McMahon to talk about the McMahon Bowl between. The Jazz and the Mavericks. Suns, Pels, people, I promise we will talk about you later in the week. The problem is your game is tonight. Everything I say will be outdated in like 10 hours. So we'll get to you in your amazing series soon. Uh, Grizz Wolves, we did you last week. Game 5 is going to be awesome. Tim McMahon, how are you, my friend? Howdy, Zach. How you doing, buddy? Well, better than the Jazz who face a uh, another franchise-defining moment Thursday. You informed me today that this Game 6 is not until Thursday in Salt Lake City. The biggest game... For this iteration of the Jazz, since they crapped the bed against the Clippers in the previous version of the biggest game for this iteration of the Jazz, uh, you were at the game last night. 
when Luka Doncic went bananas, went into God mode, and put the Jazz to sleep. The Jazz could not. The Jazz for the whole series have not been able to get threes, and now they finally got mm. some. They got thirty last night. They made three. They are shooting twenty eight percent from three for the series. Um, most importantly, Donovan Mitchell, along with every other important player in the series, was somehow in the game with like I don't know how many minutes left in in what was should have been garbage time, and suffered some sort of hamstring thing. Uh, Donovan Mitchell has not played particularly well in this series. We could talk about that. I, I still think they're they're not drawing dead if he can't play in Game Six or is limited. But the way Conley has looked, I mean, Jordan Clarkson has soundly outplayed Mike Conley in oh, this yeah. series. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine them scoring enough points without Donovan Mitchell playing in Game Six. What do we know, and when are we going to know it? Well, they scored seventy seven with them in Game Five, so <laughs> you know, I bet you they could match that. Um, no, it's, it's, it, his hamstring tightened up. Uh, you know, he, he limped off the floor, um, doubled over in pain right over there, uh, in the tunnel, right by the, uh, the writers and some of the other reporters for a little while there. Uh, and he'll have an MRI today. By the time this comes out and people are listening, you know, they'll, they'll probably know the MRI results. Donovan says that, uh, first he said, I'll, you know, I'll be fine. I'm like, Okay, you having an MRI? And he's like, you know, we'll see what it says, but I'm a competitor. You know, he 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 certainly indicated that he is optimistic about being able to play in game six. Um, but you know, if the MRI shows something with his hamstring, that's not necessarily how hamstrings work. So uh to be determined, and again, by the time people are listening to this, it 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 might be uh more determined than it is uh, right now, for sure. Well, it's a bummer on a lot of levels, and their their blah performance last night in Dallas was also a bummer. I mean, if they shoot normally from three, that's mm-hmm. a much closer game. The Mavericks still win because the Mavericks didn't shoot particularly well from three either and got a right. lot of open looks. Um, but it's a bummer to me because I texted you before the game saying this is the most pumped up I've been for any playoff game so far. Because game four was awesome. And it mm-hmm. was it was not to be hyperbolic about it, but it was one of those games where like this is why we do this. The Jazz absolutely have to win that game. It doesn't really feel for any amount of time like they're going to win that game. And not only they're they're not just fighting uh, for e- their e- even when they had a double figure lead. Because no, the, didn't, the Jazz didn't don't feel necessarily like hold on to those real well. Oh, forget that. I just don't even notice when they have a lead anymore. I just, I just like <laughs> ignore the score. Um, and, uh, and they're not just fighting for their season. They're fighting for, I mean, they're fighting for the state of their franchise. They're fighting for the next for this five years. For in jazz history. And they fought. They dug down and they fought. And the poetry of Donovan finally passes to Rudy when it matters the most. And they put the Mavs away. After Dwight Powell misses two free throws, um, was just irresistible, and it it felt like one of those moments where it's like maybe maybe they've not gotten over a hump, but maybe this catalyzes them. Maybe this going yeah. forward because you know Luca's back now, so the talent is is equal. Dallas maybe has more. I don't know. We can debate that, but. Mm. The Jazz have a lot of talent. For all the fault, their faults, now they don't have as much talent if this is what Mike Conley is now. That's a problem. Yeah. But it felt like one of those moments where, like, man, if we're in the if we're in the conference semis and it's like Jazz are up 
you know, three one over the Pelicans or tied two two with the Suns and they're going nip and tuck. Like we'll look back at that game as the moment. And then they go to game five and Luca's like, Yes, screw all that. Like, screw all <laughs> yeah. that screw all that mess. Here's a bank shot floater and a step back three in your freaking eye. Yeah, and it, it did. It was such a storybook finish and there was you could tell like how much that meant to Rudy especially, but I think Donovan was all in at that moment too. It was like this cathartic type of thing um and i thought man it's gonna be interesting you know is is that going to be kind of that you know that that little time where everything clicks for them where like you said it really kind of brings this team together and serves as a springboard (laughs) that that wasn't the case there was no water in the pool if it served as a springboard just a concrete (laughs) that's right thud um and you know you listen they didn't get a whole lot of threes. I mean, this is a team that shoots more than forty threes per game when they're when they're when, when that blender is whirring, uh, and when they're getting out in transition like they want. They they got up thirty, which for this series is a lot, uh, but three for thirty, oof. And it was, you know, the Mavericks didn't. It took the Mavericks' offense a while to to kind of get going in that game too. But I could just tell the first. I think Luca grabbed like three rebounds in the first like you know, 70, 80 seconds, something like that. And he just had like a spring and some energy. And I was like, uh-oh, Jazz might be in trouble. And then uh, typically it's hard to win games when you're trailing by double figures at halftime. And then the other team's superstar scores as many points as your entire team in the third quarter. When Luka went for 19, just took over. You know, it's, it's step backs, long-range threes. You know, like you said, floaters. I mean, they – uh, he was just carving them up, doing kind of whatever he wanted. You've got, you know, I mean, just a who's who of of, of quarterbacks cheering him on. Maz fan favorite Dwayne Wade sitting baseline courtside next to his, you know, some of his jazz management pals didn't necessarily like what he saw. Um, but, yeah, it was a pretty good show by Luca there, uh, especially in the third quarter. And, look, Luca came back from the capturing. And honestly, I think it kind of disrupted the Mavericks as, as crazy as that sounds just because they were playing so well without him. And he admitted, and, and, and look, he had 30 points and pretty efficient 30 in that game. But, you know, you got to get back to playing the, the Luka-centric type of way. And, you know, he admitted that, uh, that you know, his, his win was a problem in Salt Lake City. Said he felt way better last night. Um, I, you know, I, th- I think that's a trend that's, that's going to continue. So you've got full blast Luca, uh, the Mavericks hungry to finally get over the first round hump, uh, you know, in this Luca era coming to Salt Lake city to, you know, to basically try to put in that, the last shot on what? a wounded team. I'm glad you said that because all the focus has been on the jazz and everything looming over the jazz. The Mavericks are under some pressure too. Now they're not they're They don't have any like. They have some big organizational decisions in the sense that every team does. Who do we keep? How much does Brunson make? You wrote a fantastic piece on Jalen Brunson yesterday. Everybody should read that. You know, what do we want around Luka in the next two or three years? All that. But there's right. not there's not a sense of like impending. It's either, it, it, like we might re- be rebuilding next year like there is for the Jazz. That said, right. there is they need to win a series. They haven't won a series sure. since 2011. Like there is pressure on them to win this game in Utah because if you're up 3-2 or 3-1, or 3-0 like the Sixers, 
you don't want a game seven, even if it's in your house. Like game seven is just, you know, Luca commits two charging fouls and all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, what the hell's going on? Or or Luca goes for, you know, 46 and 14 and, you know, the other guys don't come through like happened last year with the Clippers, you know? And, uh, and, and so the Mavericks had a 2-0 lead last year against the Clippers, a 3-2 lead, right? Kawhi Leonard goes supernova in Game Six in Dallas. The Clippers, you know, blow him out despite Luka blowing up in uh, in, in in Game Seven. Um, and so it was funny. And it's this is a different Mavericks team. It is a different culture. It is a you know different coach. Those two things are directly related. Um, and somebody asked Dorian Finney-Smith last night about, hey, you know. Something along the lines of like the pressure of 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 being up three two after what happened last year, and Dodo said, "I don't remember last year." <laughs> Basically, like they're like, "Dude, uh, uh-uh, don't bring those, don't bring those, you know, demons, don't bring that mojo here. This is a different Mavericks team." Um, I'd honestly, I I would be surprised if the Mavericks don't finish the job in Game Six. But you know, I say that as somebody who picked Jazz in six uh, going into the series, uh, of course thinking Luke is going to miss at least three, four, maybe even the old, the whole series when I made that pick. Well, he missed three. He missed three. And to the Mavericks credit, uh, they got it. You know, they, they more than did their job without him, you know, to, to be up to one with him coming back. And Jalen Brunson has steadily gotten better and better and better. And he, you know, as Jay Kidd has said, Jalen Brunson proved in the regular season he deserves to get paid. He proved in this series <laughs> he deserves to get paid a lot, a lot, a lot. Like I, this might end up being a nine-figure contract. Um, and Brunson, you talk about somebody who quietly had a ton to prove in this series. And, and forget about the contract stuff, right? Rick Carlisle and Bob Volgaris gave up on Jalen Brunson in last year's series against the Clippers, right? There were some analytic stuff. Hey, Brunson's not doing this and that. He's struggling against Batum's length, et cetera, et cetera. They played Trey Burke important minutes over Jalen Brunson late in that series. Brunson sat with that, and he said this at uh, at media day to start camp. He sat with that all summer long. He came into this. And, and, you know, it ain't like Jalen Brunson hasn't performed in big-time pressure situations. The dude's got two NCAA championship rings, right? I mean, and he's played in, in, in big-time international. You know, he's he was a World Cup MVP for a Team USA under-19 team. I mean, he's played in big-time pressure situations and thrived. He had something to prove after his first playoff series did not go his way. And uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I would say he's proved his point pretty well so far. That guy's I mean, we everyone talks about his footwork and the way he uses his his fire hydrant body to open up space in mm-hmm. this. His up and under, it, it just it fools everybody. It's uncanny. It's the best up and under in the NBA. It fools everybody. and I think one of the stories of, of last night in particular was, you know, the Mavs had this blueprint pre Luca of spread the floor, put Kleba in the corner, and just attack one on one. And forced the Jazz into rotation, and the Jazz couldn't figure that out. Thought they figured that out a little bit in Game Four, and we'll talk about that. One of the things I was sort of wondering as I watched all that happen was like, I just thought like 
the thought exercise of like, what would happen if the Jazz just put Rudy Gobert on Jalen Brunson or Luka Doncic or Spencer Dinwiddie and just said, instead of having him make these decisions like come from the corner, just put him on the ball and see what happens. Well, Brunson has looked pretty comfortable attacking Gobert. And last night, Luka got him a couple of times. Did the thing where he fakes the ball around his body underneath the rim, almost clowning him a little bit. And then talked a lot of junk after a layup. Like, if those guys look comfortable, Dinwiddie hit a step back three over him. If those guys are comfortable attacking Rudy, then that that strategy goes out the window. And I think one of the things that's happened as the series has gone on is they don't look uncomfortable attacking the three-time defensive player of the year one-on-one. Yeah, no, and the move you were talking about from Luke, it was like a 4-5 fake, you know, reverse, flip it backwards, and one layup. Uh, and Quinn Snyder had an interesting comment. Uh, David Locke, the radio guy, uh, asked him, you know, something, some innocuous question to start off his pregame press conference about, like, adjustments in a series. And Quinn, as he's prone to do, takes that and goes on just a penalty kill of a soliloquy. And it, I mean, it's like six or seven minutes. But one of the things, and, and he's basically talking about coaches don't like talking about adjustments, and it's, and it's not as simple as you think, especially when you're dealing with a guy like Luca, because, you know, Essentially, there's no good answers is what he's getting at. One of the things he mentioned during that, though, was, you know, according to the Jazz's analytics, Luka isolating against fives is the best in the league. So while Rudy Gobert, you know, if you look at Gobert's ISO defense numbers, and we've talked about this before, he's really actually good, despite what people think. You know, when he gets beat, it's probably going to look bad, but you know, look at the numbers and, and he succeeds. And he, you know, there was the game this year in Utah where he got a couple stops down the stretch against uh, Luca, never mind what the last two minute report said the next day. Um, but it was interesting when Quinn said Luca is the best in the league at ISOing against centers. And, you know, I would say the eye test supports that. Um, you know, you, you go back to what looked like the game four dagger where he comfortably got into a step back three. Uh, over Gobert. Of course, the Jazz came back and, and, and won it after that. Um, you look at last year's playoffs where he played Zubac off. You know, Zubac had to go sit down and and, and wave a towel uh, after the, the Clippers got down 0-2 in that series because Luka just completely played him off the floor. So, yeah, one thing that Luka does not have any problem with is, is, is length. You know, he's a big guy who's able to create space. Um, and so that's a that's a tough solution on him. And then, you know, Brunson's just he has taken his game to to another level. He's really good at creating and exploiting small spaces, and he just keeps getting better at it. It's the rare when they go against each other, Brunson and Gobert. It's the rare like there's literally a foot difference yeah. <laughs> between those two guys, and the yeah. shorter guy doesn't care. Um, you mentioned we were talking about the blueprint that they had. And I, I think Jason Kidd and his staff have done a really good job in this series because last night I'm watching the game and I felt this a little bit even in game four. And with Luca back, and even when Luca was resting in some of these games, like last night, the, in my in my opinion, the minute Luca goes to the bench, Powell should also go to the bench. Yeah. You should have two offenses. You should have a Luca offense that sometimes includes Powell and a Dinwiddie mm-hmm. Brunson offense that never includes Powell. And they right. haven't been they've been doing some of that, but not like totally rigid. But I was I, I I've been thinking during these last two games, like, man, they're kind of getting too far away 
from that very simple blueprint that the Jazz had no answer for, which is just five out, drive, kick until you get it open three. And I, I think part of what happened is Luca's just a blueprint all to himself. We'll try that. And another part of what happened is I think the Mavs very smartly were like, this may have a semi-limited shelf life. In game four, I felt the in game four I felt the Jazz did a little better against those one-on-one drives, not just standing them up, but mm-hmm. rotating. They had a very they had for the first time they looked like a team that understood what they were supposed to be doing, which is when there's dribble penetration, corner guy comes in early, not late, early. Wing guy goes down and takes the corner shooter. We all rotate from there. Did they do it correctly every time? No. There were several possessions where two guys rotated to the same guy or they were on their way and one of the guys did like the cartoon hit the brakes where you could hear the feet squealing and and whatever. They screwed up a few times, but they were largely better at it. And Dallas almost preemptively were like, let's just try to mix in some other stuff. So I'm sitting there thinking they're going too far away from this blueprint. I actually think they sort of went a little bit away from it in the perfect dose and at the right time. More Luka... And when they did go five out like that, they've started to mix in more pick and rolls with like Finney Smith slipping mm-hmm. to the rim and mm-hmm. making plays, more flare screens off the ball to confuse those rotations that I talked about. And and last night, the other thing that stood out was we're trying to run a little bit and get yep. and get to you before you even can set your defense. And Brunson was running, even Luca was running. I just think they've been like half a step ahead. Of the Jazz and not just leaning on, well, this worked in games two and three. Let's just do that. They were like ready before game four to mix it up a little bit. And I think in the right doses, almost to the point where it's like, maybe they should just keep it a little simpler and go back to what they were doing. Yeah, well, in in games three and four, I think you got to look at Maxi Kleber getting in foul trouble. And that really obviously complicates playing that five-out offensive style. He was so good. Uh, in uh, in 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 games two and, and and three before he got into foul trouble. I mean, he you know he was in this two month shooting slump. He goes eight of eleven, and I think it was like four or five from three in game three. But you know, people were all like, "Oh, hey, did the did the Jazz find something with that small lineup?" Uh, which you know, Quinn had tried the small lineup some this year. Rudy Gay's and mothballs like he didn't want to play Eric Pascal at center. Trust me, that was a total desperation move from Quinn. You know what they found? They found Maxi Kleba got his fifth foul and had to go to the bench. And suddenly Davis Bertans comes in with a big blinking neon bullseye on his chest defensively. And so, uh, and then Kleba picked up six fouls in like 26 seconds. <laughs> you know, I mean, he, he did not play very long in game four. Kleba, not only had he been shooting the lights out, but he is at, like, they cannot put a, well, it's interesting. They, they they can't when they they can't put a good defensive lineup out there that plays that five out style uh, unless Kleba's involved. Although Luca Luca's rebounding was a very underrated aspect of him being out because now if they do they do at least have the option of playing kind of a really small lineup where Finney Smith is is the defensive center. They played it a lot the last yeah. two games. And so that you can't do that without Luca. Luca's the the leading rebounder on this team. You know, he grabbed 13 last night, and that's not like a an out of the ordinary number. If you're playing Brunson and Dinwiddie and you know small across the board, especially against Gobert, you're just going to get absolutely dominated on the glass. So 
Luca, in addition to, oh, it's, hey, it's nice to have a guy who can, you know, go for 30 plus on a regular basis and is capable of having 15 assists and, and all that. His rebounding is really, really important to the Mavericks, especially in terms of uh, versatility with lineups. And the other thing you saw last night was the Jazz are obviously determined to hunt Luka on defense. And make him work. Make him work. They've been hitter. I think Clarkson has actually been the best at that by a large margin over, over Donovan. Clarkson's what, been their best offensive player by a pretty significant margin. Clarkson is plus two for the series, and the Jazz are minus 32 overall. Uh, their starting lineup is – let me bring it up here. It's not good, whatever it is. Their starting lineup is minus 28 in 68 minutes and shooting 11 of 53. on Don, Donovan Mitchell is shooting 38% from the floor for the series and, and less than 20 from three-point range. And, yes, they're trying to hunt other matchups, but uh, – and, and he said it multiple times over the course of the series, give Dorian Finney-Smith credit. Dorian Finney-Smith is really showing why the Mavericks consider him to be an all-defensive caliber player. And by the way, Bullock, like Conley faded late in the regular season. I, You know, father time might be uh, a, a, a factor here, but Reggie Bullock does a really good job against smaller uh, smaller point guards, and I, you're, you're seeing that in this series as well. Yeah, and Donovan's Donovan, in game four, I thought the Jazz made more productive passes than they had made in the previous couple games. Donovan hit the corner man a couple times. They had the blender moving. His decision-making just just goes hit or miss within literally quarters of games where he'll make that pass, and then two possessions later, he'll take a horrible step-back three or a contested floater. Last night, he almost airballed a layup when there were like four wide open shooters around him. And then he passed up a layup to pass the ball to the corner that was covered. And it was a turnover. And it's like, man, this guy's decision-making is just, it's a little more out of whack than it. He's, he's gotten steadily better at the shoot or pass decisions. And I feel like it's gotten a tick worse under postseason pressure um, in this series. And mentioning Luca's rebounding about hunting Luca. The thing that stood out last night was, the Jazz, the Mavs became more willing as the game went on to just start switching a lot of stuff, even if it meant that Luca ended up on Gobert underneath the rim. They're putting through all these fancy three-man actions, like the Spain pick and roll, and all this. And they're like, "We'll just switch everything." And if Luca's on Gobert, we'll live with it. And, and I think they'll probably do more of that because uh, the Jazz are starting to get open looks with some of those with some of those actions. And and I would expect him to go back to it. And I think they found something. Let's just switch everything as much as we can. Well, you know, the other thing, look at who's getting some of those open looks. It's, it's Boyan Bogdanovich, and he was 0 for last night. Um, and listen, that is understandable because they've told Boyan, listen, we don't have anybody else who can guard Luka. Uh, it's on you. And we want you to pick him up a lot of times, 94 feet. And he did a – all things considered – Boyan was a did a really good job in, in Game Four, and, and his defensive energy and effort was an inspirational factor for for the rest of his teammates. And, now, guard, again, Luka, and, when, and when Luca's resting, guard Brunson, please. Right, right, and Luca got thirty. I'm not saying Boyan shut him down by any stretch, but he he was he was a factor. That's a lot to ask, you know, thirty whatever year old Boyan Bogdanovich. Um, and then say, hey, we also need you to probably score 20-plus a game pretty efficiently. Whew. 
I'll tell you what, he's glad there's a couple days between games because I guarantee he needs to rest. I'll be interested to see how the Mavs on defense handle it in game six when the Jazz with Donovan or Clarkson put Luka in the pick and roll and try and hunt Luka because when Luka kind of drops back a little bit, when the Jazz just go right at him, just be decisive, go right at him, go right into him, Clarkson's been better at that than Mitchell. They have success. Mm-hmm. When Doncic kind of hedges, like jumps out and hedges, it for, he's often on Royce O'Neal. It forces Royce O'Neal to be a playmaker, which is which is he can do. Like once in a while, he'll slip and then hit Rudy on the yeah. lob. Uh, I don't think Royce O'Neal is going to beat them as a playmaker. And the Jazz had one possession when they went at Luka. He hedged. Royce O'Neal kind of popped to three-point land where he's not a threat to play make, and he's kind of a threat to shoot sometimes. And then he shoots it. Yeah, and then they kicked it to him, and instead of just stalling out, he pitched it right back to either Mitchell or Clarkson into a second pick and roll. Like, put Luka through the ringer, and then they got around what was a much worse hedge the second time. I think they've got to do kind of more of that stuff, more varied pick and roll stuff. But on the other end, we haven't seen Luka. Luka's dabbled in where's Mike Conley where's Donovan Mitchell where's Conley Clarkson they, they've they've Quinn has been pretty quick to pull Conley off the floor oh, at a, at a oh. necessity honestly I mean he's not giving him a lot offensively and he is whether it's you, like you, you don't want like he can't deal with Luca he's is just too small and honestly too small like Brunson's kind of bullying him Clarkson, so, Clarkson with the starters in Conley's place has, has kind of become their go-to lineup. Yeah, and and they've got to play House because House is the only guy who's had any hope of of stopping Brunson. Uh, like, let's be honest, Royce O'Neal's gotten his pants pulled down uh, on national TV throughout this series. I mean, the the only time Royce O'Neal's had any success slowing down Brunson's when he took cheap shots on him and knocked him out of the game for about four or five minutes. And Royce O'Neal is is like a three point five, sometimes small ball four, who's tasked with guarding a really crafty point guard. Like that's yeah. just that's and he's not like Kawhi Leonard. He's like a pretty good defender guarding way out of position because he has to. Uh, I am interested to see if Luca. If the next card that Dallas plays and sort of expanding their playbook is Luka trying to hunt those guys a little bit more. And if the Jazz do the same thing where, okay, we're going to hedge out and double you and force Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock and the guys screening for you to be playmakers and beat us that way. But Luka's smart about, okay, come up and screen for me again. Jordan Clarkson, let's see if you can do it twice, three times. <laughs> yeah. You can't. You can't. I'm going to get by you. And if you switch... I'm going into bully mode. So I just think well, the chess like, mess in, is interesting. And it's like, you know, Quinn said last night before the game, you, you've got to mix it up. You can't just show Luca the same looks over and over and over again because you're making it easy on it. If Luca knows what's coming, <laughs> he's solving that puzzle every single time. You know, he will he will shred up the same look. So you've got to mix it up. And none of the options are really that great because he can pretty much figure out a way to, to beat any certain look. He is a blueprint all of his own. And um, I'm not sure where this, this series is going to go because it has been an interesting X's and O's chess match. And it, it does still feel like in game six, there's, there's a lot of cards left to play. The teams are still 
trying different things, both schematically in terms of their lineups. And I'm just I'm interested to see how Utah comes out. You're pessimistic about them winning game six. I understand why they just got rolled. They're now, you know, this is a solid Mavs series now. They're I think the Mavs are like plus 32 or 35 for the series. A lot of that was last night. You know, go out and win a home game. Fourth Dallas to but but Luca Well and Donovan's Luka's going tough. to be either out or or limited. Um, you know, I, I don't know that Donovan Mitchell dealing with the hamstring tightness is 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 going to be very effective on the defensive end of the of the floor. <laughs> to uh to to put it politely, you know, I, I don't know if Donovan Mitchell with healthy hamstrings is ever going to be very effective on the defensive end of the floor. I think we actually game four, I thought he was pretty good. At first three games, I thought he was a traffic cone. Yeah, they 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 also worked harder in game four. Part mm-hmm. of part of the adjustment in game four was we're just not gonna get burned so easily. Yeah, Donovan's 8 of 41 from three in this series. I mean, they're just not shooting well enough. They're not getting as many open threes. That's been the story of the series. Dallas's pick-and-roll defense is really good. They're not getting open kick threes. They've got to just make more of the and ones. They're, and they're not getting out in transition. That's, you know, that's Quinn's thing is, hey, a lot of the reason we get up so many threes during the regular season is because we get out and push tempo some and, and get those threes. The Mavericks are... Jason Kidd said it after after game two. He says, we're playing their game, and we feel like we have the advantage. And he's talking about that math game. The Mavericks are getting up significantly more threes. And so, listen, if one team is 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 shooting, I don't know what the exact numbers are for the course of the series, but the, the Mavericks got to be getting up double-figure more threes The, the Mavericks have taken 67 more threes through five games. There you go. I mean that that is, mm-hmm. and and especially Woo. in games two and three. After game three, you know our ESPN stats and info folks have the stat, and I and I don't have it right in front of me, but without telling you the exact numbers, the Mavericks had taken more uncontested threes through three games than the Jazz had total threes. Typically, that's a stat that's going to you know lead to one team having the advantage. You mentioned House in the last time we podcast about the series last week. They had, I think, kind of by accident slash desperation, played a little bit of Point Donovan, which we don't see much, which is like, you know, Mitchell without either Clarkson or Conley. So Mitchell, House, O'Neal, Bogdanovich, Gobert. That sounds interesting given their defensive needs in this series and how Conley has struggled. I just don't see enough playmaking there. Even with Bogdanovich yeah. having mismatches, he can post up, which has been okay for them. Not that really productive since game one. Like Donovan's a five assist guy. He's not a ten assist guy. Well, and, I, and especially I, when when he's struggling against Finney Smith and Finney Smith's all over him and he's not comfortable. Um, but it's one of those things. Like again, there, Quinn does not have good answers right now. There's not. There's. It's you know. It's not like he's making poor decisions. He has poor choices. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's like, uh, you know, when, when do you want to, you know, drink the vodka or the, uh, you know, or the, or, or the bourbon, you know, you, you you've got to go to work. Those are your two options. Neither of them are, yeah. neither of them are real good. I don't see them winning game six with just high pick and roll. Even if you fancy it up with the flare screen there, back screen there. I like when they, you know what I like is when they have Mitchell kind of do the Iverson cut across the foul line, catch the ball on the move. And go. I like they just need more stuff like that, but it's hard to do in the playoffs against against good defenses. I'm expecting a nip and tuck game. I'm expecting the Jazz to come out with the fight they showed in Game Four, 
And I want to, as a neutral fan, I, don't you want a game seven? I want a game seven. Yeah. Hey, I, I at least want to see competitive basketball. You know, I and uh, for the Jazz, I don't think it's overstating to say this chapter in your franchise's history is potentially at stake here. Come out and fight like it. Again, the, the one thing we don't know right now is how much, if any, uh, Donovan Mitchell is going to be able to be a part of that fight or lack thereof. I think Dallas is winning game six. You asked me to predict who's going to win. Mitchell, no Mitchell, limited Mitchell, full health Mitchell. I, I Nerf gun to my head, I'm picking the Mavs to win game six. Don't feel great about it. We'll root for healthy Donovan Mitchell. And just again, as a neutral fan, let's have a game seven. Let's have at least a couple game sevens here. But uh, Tim McMahon, you will be there to chronicle it all uh, as part of the McMahon Bowl. Uh, thank you for your time. And uh, enjoy the travel to Salt Lake City and enjoy a 2% beer after Game 6 on Thursday. 5% on draft, baby. (laughs) Tim McMahon, thank you, sir. Adios, amigos, and appreciate you, brother. Uh